Okay, so now uh, I am here. It doesn't count unless it's speaker and recording. I used to be impermanent, but now with the recordings, I get to stay around forever. <laughs> we have to redo Buddhist philosophy. <laughs> because of the digital age and the permanence of things now are there's a whole different meaning <laughs> so we still have to deal with it all okay so the topic for today is how to deal with it all and the, it's, uh, the parami is wisdom. And um, <clears throat> it's, I like the word wisdom. It's an inspiring word for me. It's a heartfelt word for me. It's very nice. And I often think it doesn't quite get to the heart of what panya or prajna means. If we think that wisdom is some kind of uh, knowledge that we gain through experience, whether it's either through experience or through books or wherever we get it, um, knowledge that we carry with us that's portable like oh now I understand something and I applied that in different parts of my life there is such wisdom a little bit louder there is there is such wisdom but uh, the the heart of the wisdom of Buddhism is closer to insight it means that there's it's a discernment uh, a seeing into the particular situation we're in it's situational and the ability to enter into a room as a chaplain, any, enter into any situation, and see something, see wisdom, see what's wise, see what's appropriate in that situation, um, is, it requires a kind of capacity of discernment, capacity of attention. In the Mahayana tradition, they have a list of the paramitas, and one of them that is in the Mahayana list, which is not in the Theravada list, which we're using for this day, for this program, is dhyana, or jhana, or, or samadhi, concentration. And when the, you, you, you know, if you ask the Theravadans, well, you know, you don't have this in your paramis, they say, oh, it's there. It's in the parami of renunciation. And uh, because uh, the idea is that the deep concentration requires a tremendous amount of letting go to be able to get that concentrated and still to enter into dhyana. And, um, and I think for, in order to, for there to be wisdom, this uh, situational insight into the situation, uh, there, there can't be a lot of static in the mind. And if there's a lot of static, a lot of preoccupations and thoughts and kind of scatteredness and all that, if we're not really, then it's hard to have the presence and the openness and the clarity to really see what's happening here, what's going on now. And so, as a chaplain, uh, not only is it important to be wise, to some degree, to be discerning, to see what's going on, but the, the kind of the foundation for that is to show up in a way where we are capable of taking in the situation, seeing the situation, seeing ourselves, seeing the, the room, seeing the patient, seeing whatever is going on, so that we have a chance to have insight or discernment or wisdom that's situational to this situation now. And so, as we do this day on wisdom, one of the things you might consider is how you show up. 
how much static do you bring with you so that you're kind of you know, filtering everything through your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, such a way that you're not really here for this situation, this thing. And how do you show up? How do you enter a room? How do you show up for any activity? How do you show up for today, here, now, now, now as I speak? How do you show up? So you're here in a full way without static to take yourself in, to take me in, to take the room in. What's happening here? What's the, what's, what's the wise way? What's wisdom, insight, discernment now? So, um, and we'll have two speakers coming to, guest speakers today. Uh, Jennifer will be here uh, shortly because she left her phone at home and she went back to get it. And, uh, and then um, in, the, in the second half of the morning, we'll have Tom Harshman come. And he was the uh, lead uh, chaplaincy supervisor at the local hospital here for many years. Friend of Jennifer's, they trained together. And um, much loved man. And now he's taken over Christina Fernandez's uh, job when she retired this year. And uh, so he comes almost every year. And at lunchtime today, he's going to be available at lunchtime for an informal meeting at a table to talk about clinical pastoral education, the CPE. And uh, so it's kind of, if you're all interested in doing that kind of hospital training, <clears throat> where they're just, you know, short, you know, short little three months of it or the whole year, that's the full amount. Um, or, even, you know, maybe even if you haven't thought about it, um, it might be interesting for you to hear what it is. I think, I think of it as one of the great tra- spiritual trainings to come out of the uh, uh, United States. It's a fantastic thing in its own right. And so, so he trains people. and So he'll do that at lunchtime. And then in the afternoon, we'll have Susan Shannon come. And Susan is the Buddhist chaplain at St. Quentin. And she works very closely with Jacques uh, Verdun, who's the, who started the GRIP program and kind of the, one of the forces for the, these a lot of these wonderful programs in San Quentin and now in the rest of the and some uh, in the rest of the uh, state prison system and some of you met the you know saw his work at Soledad when we went down there and part of the reason Shannon's coming everyone was supposed to have gone already in by now and when we invited her and she's going to help with a debriefing little bit of now just the visit to Soledad and and those of you who uh, were going to go to San Quentin uh, I've set up another day, and we'll talk about that later, but on March 29th. And um, so that's the plan. And so to reduce the amount of static, we'll sit for a little bit. So as we start to sit, uh, to be conscious about the adjustments that are being asked of us, you know, the shift from doing to being. And when we translate that into how the phenomena of the moment are being related to, it's like attending directly to the character of what's arising, the phenomena of it, like hearing the sound, experiencing the sensation in your body, 
noticing the thought. And in letting the difference between that way of experiencing and the way in which the mind wants to incorporate it into its ongoing narrative. So can these moments of direct experiencing help make evident to consciousness that there's a difference. There's a difference between the ongoing narrative and noticing and experiencing. And as we start to sit, to rediscover that through attending to what's happening. Noticing the sensations in the body, the sensations of breathing in and breathing out. what it is to be hearing the rumbling of the heating system. Noticing, is there an impulse to fix it, to change it, to remedy it, make it calmer, make the noticing more intense, push away one kind of experience so another one's more available.
And if there are any persistent thoughts or mental disposition, can they be noticed, experienced?
So good morning again. So Jennifer has made it. And I noticed there were a couple of other emails, people saying they weren't able to come. Does anybody remember? Emily. Amanda. Yeah. Joanna, yeah. But we're here. <laughs> Christina is n- not going to be here. Gill's sort of thumbnail description of the scope of wisdom. And then the point where he ended up with with these two varieties of wisdom where we could say that the wisdom of the context, you know, whether the context is your own mind, your own psychology, your relatedness in a direct sense with others, the context of being of service as a chaplain, the context of being a practitioner. There there are skills, there's there's learning, there's um, wisdom that can help us in those contexts. And then this other aspect of going beyond contexts, you know, in a way we could say that uh, just attending and experiencing what's happening in the moment is an invitation to relate beyond a particular frame of reference or context. And then having the two inform each other, you know, Sometimes in Buddhism it's said that this going beyond uh, is the ground from which the insights, the wisdom arises. And then the relatedness uh, is the ground and the teaching of compassion. Uh, Because even though we create a context, it's limited. And then when we relate to it as the truth, um, we run into those limitations, sometimes very painfully. Um, but the interplay between the two, you know, we go, we go into a context, like it always struck me in doing uh, prison ministry, you know, you go into a context but you only see a small part of it. You know, that you, you, you go into a room and, you know, there's a group, usually men, of course women too at times, and you, you relate to them as they present themselves within that room. And the other parts of their prison life are kind of mysterious to you. You know?
I mean, it, it just occurred to me, you know, like, I, I would go into the city jail in San Francisco, and one of the first things, you'd go up in the elevator, and then one of the first things you do, you stand there, and the guard sees you, and he has to press a button to open the gate, and he takes his time about it. He presses that button when he feels ready to press it. And you think, oh, what would it be like for every time I go through a door to have that experience? And I can conceptually think of it, but I haven't lived it. And and so, and, and that's our kind of the humility we bring to the context, you know. We have our experience, we know what we know, and there's always details of the context we don't know. And still, here we are, presenting ourselves as someone of being of service and hopefully who can offer something positive to the context. And, and, and that, you know, especially emphasized in, in, in the Zen practice, it's like that not knowing mind, you know, that makes us more available to learn, you know. Like if you go into a situation and you think, oh yeah, I know what it's like to be a prisoner, like you just, you know. I mean, that one doesn't occur to us too often, right? Because <laughs> most of us have never spent any considerable amount of time in prison. Um, but we don't know what this person's going through who's in the hospital waiting for heart surgery or, you know, or living on the street, you know, not knowing where they're going to sleep that night. Yeah. And then hopefully in the course of this this program, in the course of your chaplaincy internship, you will learn certain skills. You'll learn how to read certain cues, you know, to notice, oh, what's the dynamic in the room? You know, how are the family members relating to the person who's in the bed sick? You know, within this group of prisoners, does there seem to be like a dominant personality? I once ran a group in city jail, and about a couple of sessions in, we met once a week, you know, on an ongoing basis. A couple of sessions in, the dominant personality got very genuinely interested in meditation. And, 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 and then he was also extraordinarily disclosing about his own difficulties and challenges. And it just had such a powerful influence. It was like permission. It was like leading by example. Um, okay, here's... I'm not quite sure how he came to be the alpha male, but it was pretty evident when you paid, when I paid attention, that's how it was, you know. So it's not like we know nothing. We know some things, you know. And how in every context of our life, that's, that's how it is, you know. Even ourself, you know. 
We know a certain amount around ourselves, about ourselves, uh, our own mental patterns, our own emotional patterns, how to relate to our own body, how we relate to others, you know. I was in a meeting recently and the person who was leading it said, how many people think of themselves as introverts, you know? But there's more to learn. In in how um, how helpful an attitude that is, and it both teaches us um, particulars of of the context we're relating to, and then very interestingly, it teaches us something that's it, it. also can incline us towards a learning of what's called wisdom beyond wisdom. You know, like, what is it to kind of realize, okay, this is the context, and it's just one version of reality. No? And, and how when we have that attitude, it's it's... It's, it's like there's, we're creating some kind of, or allowing some kind of space around the context, as it appears to us. And, um, yeah. and, and it opens up a possibility for ourselves, and then very interestingly, it opens up a possibility for the people we're relating to, too. Okay, right now, this is what's happening. It's not going to happen forever, and it has its own characteristics. No. And, and there's, there's, it g- gives us a, a sense of there is context and there's almost like space around context or possibility beyond this particular context. And when we can tune into that, then the context and how it comes into play and how it passes out of play um, becomes more evident. Even when we watch ourselves, like like times when we're sitting and our attention and presence has been established and we see arising, happening and falling away. we, We start to have insights into the nature of what is. Yeah. And then, and then we, we can carry that kind of disposition into whatever context we find ourselves in. Yeah. And I think of this as, as one of the gifts we bring to being a chaplain. Yeah. Because it helps establish kind of a trust in the presence of the moment. Okay, this is the context of the moment. 
and it stirs us in whatever way it stirs us. We're delighted, we're frightened, you know. And, and how our meditation practice c- can help make that um, evident for us, can help us tune in in that way. And, and what it does, it, you know, w- within the realm of the Dhamma, it, it creates a kind of a steadiness in our being, you know. Th- then our well-being is, is not dependent upon getting what we want and avoiding what we don't want. It's dependent upon how we relate to what arises. You know. And how do we convey that? You know. how, how do we let the context draw forth compassion? Because even though the wisdom of practice is asking us to discover and realize liberation, our human condition is intertwined with getting what we want and avoiding what we don't want. And it causes us afflictions. Like, and as chaplains, that's what we're trying to address in the context of whatever, however we're doing our ministry. And then how do we um, keep tuning in in that way? We don't enter the room or the context or the situation or the relationship because we have all the answers. Quite the opposite. Part of the gift we bring is not having all the answers. Of, of not knowing exactly where this is going, but being able to trust that. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it, one way or another, share with each other and the people we're <coughs> trying to support that we're all on a journey. Yeah. We're, we're all in this human life together. And it will keep changing, and we don't have the answers. And then in the realm of practice, you know, insight into the nature of practice, you know. And then in this course, insight into how practice and chaplaincy uh, can be interwoven. No, that's um, that, that's what we are attempting to offer to you. And we've done it many years, and every year it's a little bit different. No, we're we're still in learning mode. Um, So wisdom beyond wisdom, insight into the nature of what is, 
and insight into the particulars of ourselves, the particulars of a particular venue in which we're being a, mini, a, a chaplain. Um, and so today there will be a variety of presentations, both offering um, insights into context, but the background is this other kind of insight, insight into the nature of what is. Thank you. Would you like a mic, man? You bet. <laughs> yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see you. Happy, Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year. I apologize for being late. I saw a really cute dog leave here a minute ago. What's up with that? <laughs> What'd I miss? Where'd that cute dog go? I won't go to that class. Was it your dog? Oh, okay. Must be her dog. Okay. Let's all bring our dogs next time. How about that, Gil? Gil's like, that'd be so fun. Uh, but, uh, as I was listening to you, Paul, I was thinking about how much there is to pay attention to in spiritual care how much there is to pay attention to and how I feel and may or may not be more responsible beyond myself you know the not only aware but then what am I responsible for you know like uh, a family in a room you know with things going on um And it's, it's very challenging to kind of, and it's not really simultaneous. It's not like I look at myself and the other in the room at the same time. It's more like bump, 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 you know, this and that, then this, this, and, and then, you know, it, it takes a lot of, um, uh, I think particularly in, the, in learning this, it, it takes repetition really and diligent effort to keep going to all three of those. You know, kind of like that illustration we looked at in one of the first classes. There's, there's me and there's you and there's us and then there's the whole context. Yeah, so there's a lot to pay attention to. Yeah, And I think we naturally, for who knows what reason, some of us get kind of begin looking at ourselves. Some of us begin looking at, you know, this person, I'm, I'm just going to, use you as an example because you're sitting right in front of me sorry <laughs> uh, you know what's happening for them very interested in, in that you know for other people there's a lot of 
focus on kind of what's happening between us, you know, and how do I make a an us, you know. And then other people, the institutional stuff gets our attention right away, you know, and it gets our it's hooks in us right away, particularly around um, right and wrong, you know, power, you know, and uh, any active or dormant um, sense of justice, you know. So, has anybody been experiencing any of these things capturing your attention while you've been in this training? And has anybody noticed how it's, it's a little bit like ping pong trying to track them all at the same time or figure them out? Yeah, exactly. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's hard to think of anything else. That's for sure. So it can also be, uh, sometimes for me, I feel really present. You know, Don't ask me to remember to call somebody at 10.30 today because that's not going to happen because I'm going to be so present at 10.30 with these multiple things that I'm tracking. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm not making a phone call at 10.30, but that was an example, you know. Like, So when I'm here with you guys, for example, I, I can't, you know, I can't do anything. And when people ask, oh, well, can we talk for 10 minutes at, during your lunch break? And I usually say, no. <laughs> when I'm on my lunch break, I'm still engaging here. You know, I, I'm not away. This is really urgent. So what we'd like to do now, given that um, we've been in this course for several months, September to October, October to November, November to December, and December to January, right? So by calendar year we could say five months, but actually in terms of accrued time it's been about 16 weeks, you know, 18, 18 weeks, something like that, throwing the holiday. So we'd like to have you get in some small groups right now and talk about um, and share with each other uh, you know, kind of what's been capturing your attention um, or it, within these realms, where is your wisdom most engaged or being cultivated? You know, I'm sure you probably have already thought of things listening to Paul like I did. You can't just sit and listen to Paul and not begin to inventory all the things that are going on and (laughs) take what you're saying and think, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. I can, yeah, so. Um, It's also, we'd like to use this time in smaller groups um, to uh, have people say something about their volunteer work if there's a challenge there. it's also a time to talk some about the reading and the writing, you know. So, um, yeah. And also, we've given you a lot of content in the first four classes. And in between, a lot of reading, right? And then the writing assignments. It's a lot, yeah. So, um, it's a good time to kind of... Um, Think about what's happening. To use your uh, kind of uh, imagery, Paul, through my own uh, being is like there's the context and kind of what's happening, you know, and so many things, including me, you, us, together in the context of a setting. And then what is, you know, arising? How are things for you given all of this? You know, how are things for you? What's it like? Yeah. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. And we're each going to join you in the groups. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we need three groups. And um, if Christina was here, it would be a little smaller. And um, But I think we'll do it with the three of us. And how, how shall we do this? Should we do uh, people that we're waiting for? And then Christina's people can be divided up between the three of us? Okay. That's what I was thinking too. Any thoughts on that, Paul? Well, let's do that and then let's see what kind of numbers we each have. Okay. See, like the people who are missing, are they? Okay, great. I'll repeat it, yeah. So, um, we're going to ask you to meet with the person who's reading your papers. Myself, Paul, or Gil. If Christina is reading your papers, you're welcome to join one of our groups. And we will track... Actually, who's in Christina? Who's... Papers is Christina reading. One, two, three. Oh. <laughs> Fabulous. So you can each join one of our groups. And if you meet one of each other at our groups, uh, you'll, one of you will have an opportunity to practice generosity, which is, okay, you can take this group and I'll go take the other group. So then the next is to choose locations for our groups. Where would you like to be, guys? Oh, we've got Jennifer in this corner. We've got Gil in that corner. And Paul's going to be in the middle. Over there? Up on the stage? Yeah. Okay. Great. Let's do that now. And we'll go until... How long do we have? We have 20 minutes. We have 20. I think we have to take a half hour. Yeah. Tom, oops.